it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 298. Today, Andrew and I are going to discuss causation and correlation in the stock market and maybe some ideas behind those concepts. So with that, why don't we go ahead and dive in and talk about something called beta. This is something we talked about way back yonder, and we thought maybe we would touch on this again. So for the folks out there that are wondering, what is this Greek symbol I'm talking about? What is beta? What is beta and how does it impact the stock market or stock? Question. Beta is a correlation measure. And people generally use it to paint a picture about a stock. So as an example, if you have an iPhone, which you should, (laughs) you can click in their stocks app and then there's going to be you know, obviously you have the stock chart and the stock price and you have some other metrics. And if you scroll over to the right, they have yield, beta, and EPS. So we're talking about that component called beta. And what it's trying to measure is what is the correlation versus the stock market. So as an example, if the stock market were to drop by, and I'm really simplifying the math here, so the concept's the same though. If the stock market was to drop by 20%, and a stock dropped 40% every time the market dropped 20%. It's 20 times more extreme in that price movement. And so it's beta would be two because it's two times. It's twice as extreme. That's what beta measures. So if a stock has a beta of one, every time the stock market drops 20%, the stock's probably going to drop 20%. So you have stocks that are lower beta. Examples of those can be 
stocks that do well during a recession. So think like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, I guess maybe McDonald's to a certain extent. Some of these more grocery stores would be good ones. Walmart. The ones, Walmart's a good one. Yep, exactly. Those are lower beta. They'll tend to have a beta less than one because if the stock market crashes tomorrow because there's going to be a recession, people are still going to go to the grocery store and go to Walmart and get their groceries. On the flip side, if you have like the old school steel makers who need a booming economy to be able to ship out all the steel. And if the recession happens, the steel maker is going to crash 40%. Well, maybe the beta is two or three or four, depending on how that price moves. So that's kind of in a nutshell, the basic concept behind beta. I guess, how would a beginner investor use that in practical application or kind of how does that provide usefulness to somebody who's looking at a stock? I think, well, outside of the use of it in valuation, I think the thing that I would use it for or look at is it's going to tell me in rough terms, maybe how much volatility I can expect in the stock price, especially compared to how the stock market itself moves. And so if you see a company that has a beta of two, I would probably expect there to be a lot more volatility in the price of the company as I'm holding it, maybe compared to what's happening in the stock market. It wouldn't necessarily mean that, you know, if it has a two or a three, that if the stock market goes up, it goes down, you know, twice as much. It may not. But I think, you know, the way I look at it is it tells me how much of a bumpy ride can I expect if I own this company. If it's a 1 or 1.1 or a 0.9, it's going to flow along pretty closely with the stock market. But if you see higher, more extreme numbers, like you know, 0.1 versus 2.2, you're going to see probably a rougher ride if you hold the company for a longer period of time. And that's something you can expect. And I guess that's kind of how I look at it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because if you look at a stock like how Tesla has been from, call it, 2013 to 2021. I guess it, it was a very bumpy ride, but it also went straight up for a lot of its ride. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't say that it correlated with the market because the market was a lot more down than Tesla was. So mm-hmm. that beta is going to be all out of whack. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, if you have a company that goes bankrupt, their stock price just keeps going down, 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 down. The beta might not tell you anything because it's a stock price that goes down. So I'm glad you mentioned that it can tell you ups and downs are going to be more or less extreme than the market, but it's not always necessarily the case. It's it's a very broad rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people also associate beta with risk. And I don't correlate that with risk. To me, it's more about volatility and the movement of the stock prices as opposed to riskiness of the stock. You could argue that they're one and the same. You know, if you think of a company that has a really high beta, it's also going to have a lot more fluctuations. It could have a lot more fluctuations in the stock price, and that could lead to more risk investing in the stock. But when I think of risk, I think of risk of losing my capital. And depending on, you know, a company that has a high beta doesn't have a, a higher correlation to a bankruptcy than one that doesn't. It's more about the stock price and the movement of the stock price. And typically, typically, not always, but typically younger 
companies, especially like younger tech companies, they usually have higher betas because you see lots of fluctuations in their stock price because the market moves on news of the companies far more than it does on Johnson and Johnson and Coca-Cola. And so in relation to those, then you're going to see a lot more movement. You know, if news comes out, the CrowdStrike had a great quarter, you're going to see a huge boost in the stock price, vice versa. If poor news comes out, then you're going to see a big drop in in the stock price. Whereas, you know, good or bad news with Coca-Cola may not move the price of the stock that much. And so that's not really risk. That's just, that's more volatility. And that's part of investing in the stock market. And it's, it's a feature, not a bug kind of thing. I've seen that a lot, but I guess, what are your thoughts on that idea of beta kind of equating to risk? I would say it's the causation doesn't go both ways. Mm. So I would say a business that's struggling or about to fail would cause a stock to have a high beta because there'd be a lot of investors freaking out. Mm-hmm. But a stock with a high beta doesn't, like you said, doesn't mean a struggling or more risky business. So it's mm-hmm. not two-way street. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think a lot of people sometimes, again, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of people will look at beta and if they see a number that's high, and you associate that with volatility, that means that you could lose money on the stock. But that's only if you're planning on trying to make investment decisions based on quicker terms. So if you're looking to buy a company and I only want to hold it for three months, then if you look at the beta and it's really volatile, then yeah, you could lose money because if you're buying it now and then you want to sell it in September or October, there's a chance that you could lose money on that investment. But if you buy it today and you want to hold it for the next five years, then I think beta becomes less of an issue as far as you losing money because the volatility hopefully would smooth out by then because the business that underlies the stock ticker would start to perform more consistently over that period of time and there would be less volatility. And so the, the beta would come closer to one over a longer period of time. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. And I stir the pot. What's that? Of course, throw away. <laughs> I would say it depends on... I mean, and I know you weren't saying like this is how it always is, but I think in certain cases... To use your example of whatever latest new innovation stock comes out and it's this hot stock, give me like a recent IPO. I guess we haven't had any recently, but yeah, Kava, the Chipotle style business that just went public. Yeah. So I assume their beta is going to be really high Mm -hmm. because they just IPO'd and the growth is probably crazy good, Mm -hmm. but that's revenue growth. And so those type of names will have a lot of investors who are very short-term focused or they don't tend to stick around a long time. Mm -hmm. So that situation, I would say, does signal a more risky... The presence of the stock moving up and down violently does indicate that it's not going to be a good investment because the type of investors that are in there are all speculators. Right. But if you have a really great business that just maybe is going through a crisis in public relations or something, mm-hmm. but it's still a good underlying business, right. then it totally doesn't mean that there's a lot of risk in that and losing capital in that business. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you that, can kind of argue it both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You could. Yeah. For, you could for sure. The idea of the investor base turning over kind of a sidebar. I was listening to an interview with the CEO of Uber and Uber is a company that's been around for a little while, but they IPO, I don't know, six, five, six years ago. And that has been a very volatile stock. And so they had a very high beta. The CEO informed us in the interview that they turned over their investor base. So the early people that were in the company have all basically turned over. And now investors that are, are buying them for the company is starting to become free cash flow positive. Their beta is starting to smooth out. So it's a different kind of business and it's a different kind of investment. And so their investment investor base is turned over, which helps more, I guess, normalize the beta for the company. Because like you said, there's less speculators in there and there's more long-term focused investors that are that are investing in a company now. So that has caused the beta to kind of smooth out. It's not quite as bumpy as it used to be. That's a perfect example of that investor base kind of changing. And, and so to kind of continue that example, if beta was hypersensitive to the economy, which I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but let's just pretend that every time the economy jumped, it doubled, then Uber quadrupled. And then every time the 
had a recession. Uber had even worse recession. So mm-hmm. it was a super high beta because the earnings were so up and down. Then that's then now you have like the two extremes of correlation. One indicating like the beginning, you, you're probably going to lose some capital if you invest because it's kind of like a casino in that in that instance. The other is just a stock or a business that's just very dependent on the economy. But in 10 years, it'll probably still be a good investment. So it's maybe not as risky. Mm -hmm. That's how I try to look at it, differentiating between those two things. Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any other ways you use beta when you're looking at a stock, analyzing a stock? I use it as part of, I use it as part of a formula to determine a, a, a hurdle rate or a discount rate or an investment rate that I want to earn when I'm trying to value a company. It's part of the cost of equity. Determine how much that cost is if the company uses that to try to generate money to invest. When companies invest, they have two different ways that they can raise capital. One is they can take on debt so they can issue bonds. People invest in the debt of the company. And the other one is selling shares or selling equity in the company. And there's costs associated with those. And beta is part of a formula that you can use the cost of equity formula to help determine how much that cost would be if I wanted, you know, let's say that the company sold their equity to raise money. How much would that cost me as a shareholder? And what kind of investment would I have to get? How much would the company have to return to me to overcome that so that I get a decent return? And so if the cost of equity is 10, then that's my cost to invest in the equity of the business. And if it doesn't earn at least a 10% return, then I'm losing money on the investment. And so that's, that's part of beta is, can be complicated, but it's part of that cost of equity formula that I use to value companies. What about you? Yeah, I, I use it as well. So it is one of those that it can be, you can make it really simple as a beginner and just kind of know the basics of it. But you can also know that it is used in finance and it is used to to make the price of a lot of different stocks in the market, especially if they're more on the mature side or the free cash flow side, like, like where Uber is starting to get into. That's how the analysts will use it. And for the same reasons that you're talking about to make a discount rate and because higher higher variance and free cash flow means you can't value last year's cash flows as high because it's variable. That's the way I use it yeah, similarly. Yeah. yeah. A side note on that, if you're curious about what we're talking about, go to einvestingforbeginners.com and search bar at the top of the page, type in cost of equity, and you'll see some articles there that we've written about the cost of equity. It'll help explain it a lot more in detail. Sometimes numbers are hard to go over on the show because you can't see them. So I think that's a better way if you're like, what are they talking about? I want to learn more about this. That's where I'd go. Yeah. All right. So now that we've kind of talked about beta and, and we've danced around this idea of causation and correlation, when we talk about those things, what exactly does a causation versus correlation mean? Well, I guess for the stock market or in general? I guess for the stock market, for us, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to go down the rant of what I think is causation. So I guess for the stock market, there are some things that have causation and some things that have correlation. And I think this is something that doesn't come naturally or it's not something you learn as an investor. It's not in like chapter two of investing 102 or something. So like, for example, we talk a lot about how if you 
buy stocks, you're buying part ownership of businesses. And as those businesses grow over the next 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to get your stock investments to grow in value along with them. So there's a correlation there over the long term because as the business becomes more valuable, so does your stock. But there's no causation in the short term. So for example, if Uber was to increase their profits by 30% next quarter, that doesn't mean your stock's going to increase by 30% next quarter. And that's its own can of worms. But that's something that I don't think I knew when I started. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but it's... I think it's a valuable lesson to learn because then you you don't get surprised when that happens. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? My, my The earnings are up 11%. How come my stock's not up 11%? What's going on here? Right. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Geem. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or why did my, what happened? You see this all the time. Why did what happened? Why did the stock price fall seven percent today? Like there's right. there's no news. There's nothing that happened, and all of a sudden it's down seven percent. Why? Right. And there's no easy answer for those things. A lot of it is because when you're dealing with the stock market, you're dealing with a complex system of a lot of moving parts and a lot of human beings investing in the stock market and. So the tide will, you know, the crowd will move or sway a particular company from time to time. And if a large user base of investors in, you know, in Uber decide that they think that the company is now worth 5% less than it was today, even though there's no news that come out, it will drop 5% because a large user base has decided that they want to sell it for 5% less, that it's worth 5% less than it was yesterday. And other people may buy that thinking, hey, you know, hey, I got a deal on this company. So just because of the nature of the of the complex kind of system that the stock market is, there's going to be movements that sometimes make no sense. And you can't reason with it. It's just because it's its own hive mind um, a little bit. And, you know, there's all kinds of forces that move the way prices move uh, on stocks. A, a perfect case in point for me is um, I talked about this for a company that I own out of the Netherlands called Ajin. It's a payments company. They report earnings twice a year. So, you know, two times a year, we get information from the company about the financial condition position of the business. But the stock price moves all over the place all the time. And 
why? There's no logical reason for that. It's just because of the nature of the stock market and other people investing and fears of you know, the economy in the Netherlands or fears of the economy in Europe or fears of the economy in the United States, whatever, any of those kinds of things, you know, bad news here can relate to there. And it's not always causation is correlation, but sometimes there's disassociations with the news and that can lead to changes in price. And again, it's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> and it's part of investing. Pass, how big is Ajin's market cap roughly? Uh, you know, it's around like- 50 billion-ish. Okay, yeah. So something I saw that was interesting, the stock pick I recommended for July was the big one, right? Yep. Right. One of their, it was about 2 billion out of the 50 billion market cap was a Vanguard REIT fund. Okay. So just think about that for a second. Like investors who are buying a REIT fund because they want REIT exposure mm-hmm. is, is owning a large percent of that company and, and probably moving the price. Right. And then you think again, like like for me, for example, I have my fund money account that mm. I like half-heartedly will save up for stuff that I want to buy, but I'll put it in stocks in the meantime and then something comes up and I'll sell some stocks and then, you know, there goes that money. And so it could be a reason I, if it's in my fund account, I could have sold it for a reason that had nothing to do with the stock. Mm-hmm. And then you think about people in the economy when they get raises or bonuses. I'm going down a rabbit hole. Just cut from, from where I was with the REIT thing. Okay. There are other things that can move a stock. You mentioned it could be completely random. You know, I just mentioned how there are a lot of ETFs and mutual funds that really the people who own those don't even know what's underneath it. So mm-hmm. if, if I read on Wall Street Journal that real estate's a bad place to invest right now and I'm not really deep into what's going on with those stocks that are underlying, I might sell a REIT ETF, for example. Right. So other things that move the price other than some of the stuff we've discussed already? It's a good question. You know, the things that, I mean, the things that I always associate with moving the stock price are any sort of news that comes out about either that company or about the sector or the economy that that business operates in the ownership, like you were mentioning can definitely move it. And sometimes it can be that the ownership, like when we're talking about ETFs or more active managed funds, they have targets to meet. And so sometimes a lot of them will move in and out of companies because they're trying to achieve certain returns. And let's say that they feel like, you know, pick on Ajin, for example, they feel like that now Ajin is not going to get them the return that they need. They may dump that company and move on to another shiny object to try to get a better return because they think maybe over the next seven weeks that this company is going to get a better return than Ajin will over the next seven weeks. And so they will move in and out to try to maximize their returns over a longer period of time because they're bonused on that. They also can attract more people to invest in their funds if they meet certain marks. In other words, if they beat benchmarks, and if you don't do that consistently, then fund managers can get in a lot of trouble. They can lose clients. They can lose their job eventually, certainly lose a lot less money. So there is a certain portion of the market that is based on that kind of activity. And so they will be moving in and out of those things. you know. And then there's just you know the general, sometimes it's just the general mood of the world. 
move things, you know, up and down. Perfect example is COVID. Everybody was terrified when that first happened and the stock market dropped 40, 50% in a week. Uh, and that was unusual at the time. And a lot of it was based on fear because nobody knew what was coming and what was happening. And so we all thought it was the end of the world. And so we sold everything. So there can be lots of movement in the markets unrelated to the stock price. And to me, that's something I just didn't know when I started. I guess the last thing that maybe we can kind of touch on with this kind of idea of the causation and correlation is, let's say that you own Texas Instruments. Great company, solid business, and its earnings grow by 10% over the next 10 years. Is there a guarantee that the stock price is going to match that and grow 10% a year? Are they perfectly aligned? It's not perfect. No, it's not. So you can't say that like, yeah, every time Texas Instruments or a company like them grows 10%, I'll get a 10% return. But if you look at large amounts of data, and people have done that, lots of people have done that. Guys like Warren Buffett have been investing for 60 years and they've noticed it. In most cases, if a company grows at 10% a year for 10 years, its stock will grow at 10% a year for 10 years. Mm -hmm. If a company grows at 12% a year for 12 years, the time its stock will grow 12% for 12 years. Obviously, you still get the same fluctuations at the beginning and the end, but the trend along it will follow the business. Mm -hmm. And to quote Benjamin Graham, like you always do so eloquently, in the short term, the market's a money machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. And that's because most investors are buying based on what a business can produce. So if it can produce more in 10 years than it did the 10 years prior, it's going to be worth more. And so it's not a perfect correlation, but it's a general long-term trend, I would say. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. And so for me, the takeaway from that data is when you own a really good company, the way you're going to benefit from owning that really good company is by continuing to hold that company for a longer period of time because you're going to see peaks and valleys that we talked about with the beta that kind of idea will smooth out over the 10 years. And so like Andrew was saying, it may not correlate exactly 10%. It may be 10.1%. It may be 9.99%, but it's going to match pretty closely. But in the years intervening, it may be all over the map. And so that's why holding the company over a longer period of time is going to benefit you in the long run. And that's why we try to encourage people to try, try to do that as much as we can. Yep. All right, everyone. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app if you enjoyed our little show. If you would, kindly consider giving us a review. It greatly helps our show. And don't forget to browse the incredible materials we've created for you at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lastly, continue growing your knowledge as an Investing for Beginners insider with insights and educational tips delivered right to your inbox for free. Sign up today. And with that, we'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with the margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time. Have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.